I don't know um, <clears throat> whether Sunday is the beginning of your week or the end of your week, um, but if we treat it as the end of our week, what a week it's been. If you're a Watford fan, my heart goes out to you this morning. If you're a fan of the Eurovision Song Contest, my heart goes out to you this morning. Uh, we are a nation not very loved, aren't we? And uh, um, it's quite hard. I drove back this morning, um, beautiful morning actually, um, from London, and uh, just listening to the news coming in and uh, listening to people advising on us on how to deal with disappointment, whether that's national disappointment, personal disappointment, disappointment? How do we actually navigate uh, the, the kind of world that we're in? I would also say that we have had a breakthrough this week, a very sad breakthrough in the Jeremy Kyle show stopping. And I would dare to nail my colours to that mast and say that that's long overdue in our nation. But how sad, how tragic that it actually took a man being so publicly shamed on that programme that he was driven to take his own life. And most people close to that man would say that he was innocent of what he was accused of. So as we look at this subject this morning, this incredible passage in 1 John, there is something that I believe is a message that is live and true for you and I today that says actually there is a place to take our shame. There is a place to take our guilt that we are not defined by it, we don't have to wear it, there is a place for us to take it. And in this um, book, the 1 John, it's a, a short letter, uh, John says right at the outset in the verses before the ones that we read, he says, I'm writing this so that you can be a joyful people. Verse 4 says, I'm writing this so that you can have joy. And then the next few verses are about confession. <laughs> And that's what we're looking at today. Now, you might say to me, not sure I've ever put confession and joy in the same bracket before. It might be that you grew up with quite a tyrannical view of confession. I know some people do, where actually even the word is quite uncomfortable for you because you were forced to go to confession. But this is a very different picture that we have. And we're going to spend uh, the next three weeks, uh, over three weeks, not three weeks all in this one, uh, um, but three weeks where we're going to be looking at the subject of confession. And my hope and my prayer for us is that we're going to find it liberating rather than heavy. Because confession is one of the most liberating, <laughs> I won't put that up yet because it's distracting you, <laughs> beautiful though they both are, um, it's a liberating thing. It's a joyful thing. And John says, God is light. That's the first verse that we're looking at. He says, God is light. Interestingly, and a little bit trickily maybe for some of us, his first statement is not God is love. It's God is light, which means he is holy. He's holy. So suddenly you and I start saying, oh, hang on, I can't have a relationship with him because I'm not. And we know that. But actually, he is love as well as holy. And the verses go on in this very short little uh, chapter to say that he is both light and love. There is a, <clears throat> a claim, and you can prove me right or wrong. I'm somewhere in the middle on this because I don't have a pet. There is a claim that people grow to look like their pets. 
that the more we gaze into the eyes of someone or something, the more we become very similar to them. I want you to think, if you have a pet, whether there may be some similarities with you. Uh, the One Show took a poll this week. It wasn't about Brexit. It was about whether we love cats or dogs most. Dogs won by 51%. Yes, I know. I mean, it's important to talk about these things at such a time as this, isn't it? If we're not divided enough already, let's throw in the cat and dog uh, discussion as well and really break it up. But here we have some people who look like their dogs. <clears throat> and if I had been more prepared, I would have loved it to have been all of you with your pets. But I don't think that far ahead, as some of you know. But maybe for next week when I'm at Bourneville, you can send in a picture of you gazing at your pet. And I can use that for my talk over there. They'd love that, I'm sure. So do that. Seriously, that's a request. If you have a pet and you look like it or you think you do or him or her. But they really do, don't they? They really do. I mean, I love the curly perm with the little spaniel there. And they resemble, and we don't know what came first. Did they choose the dog that looked like them? Or did they get the dog and start to dress and do their hair like them? We don't know. But there's a serious point to this, that actually what we look at every day changes us. Where our gaze sits is kind of what we reflect back. And we've seen that in our world, haven't we? We've seen that in our nation even this week. That if we, what we look at is our own shame, if what we look at is our own failure, that our absolute exasperation with ourselves, as many of us know, I felt that sometimes even this week, we just look at that. And when we look at that, there's something that's downcast that creeps in. But John is saying, look at the light, because God is light. And you can have fellowship with that light, that we can be bearers, if you like, of that light. So in the passage, we're going to look at light and darkness a little bit. We're going to celebrate the difference between condemnation and conviction. And we're going to look at shame and guilt and finally look at whether we confess to God or to each other or both and why we have those things. So verse 5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And the word in the Greek for confess means to agree, interestingly. Homologo or something like that. I've probably pronounced that wrong. I was practicing it in the car, but that hasn't come out particularly well. Um, but there's a sense of agreement. Now, when you think of confession, is that what we think? Because that's what it means, to agree with the light, to agree with it. To confess is to say, that's God, he's beautiful, he's light, he's hopeful, he's hope-filled, and I want to look like that. And so I'm going to get rid of anything in my life, in your life, that makes me stop looking like that. Does that make sense? So confession is so natural. It's so natural. It doesn't have to be forced. It doesn't have to be heavy because it's natural. Because when we look at who God is, when we read that he is light, in him there is no darkness at all. There is no shame, no guilt, no duplicity, nothing that we can't trust about this God. Then actually we can confess. We can say, I don't want that in my life anymore because I want to look more like that. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
And as we look at the light, how, the, how do we do that, you might be asking. Well, I believe that part of that is through the discipline of Scripture, as we've already talked about in many weeks, at looking at his word. His word is a light to our path. It's something that lights us up, even when we don't fully understand or engage with all of it. We can still be lit up by it, guided by it. John is a pastor, incidentally. It's quite nice to have a pastor writing part of the New Testament. And in that, he's saying confession is for your good. Light actually does need a response. I don't know how dark you think the world is. It's been said that the Bible is the most optimistic book about the human spirit and the most pessimistic because the Bible predicts the trajectory that man will go on without God. It says that we will dissipate, that we will disintegrate, that we will break down without the light. And if you took a snapshot from most papers this morning or yesterday, you'd, you'd have a lot of evidence to suggest that, wouldn't you? That God is light and in him there is no darkness, and yet our world has a lot of darkness within it. Tim Keller says that actually the darkness works a bit like a fish in water. If you think of a fish who's got a goldfish here, still living, that's quite a sad tale, isn't it? Because there's nobody putting their hand up. Sorry if you're grieving for your fish. But um, fish live in water and they've never known anything else. They're born into it, they know it, they don't know anything else. The only times they know it, if for whatever reason they jump out of the tank or jump out of the water, and many times they don't come back to tell the tale, although if you catch them quickly, apparently they do. But Keller's point is that we don't see the darkness because it's all we've known. And the only way that we will see the darkness is when we look at the light, when we look at the standard of God, which is generosity and beauty and holiness, so no wonder John says God is light first before he even says God is love because he wants us to actually reflect ourselves and say, I want to look like that. I want more of that light. I see the darkness. And I don't know about you, but if I worship or if I put some music on, if I start to look at scripture, confession comes quite naturally because we start to look at the person of Jesus and we think, oh, I'm, I'm not like that. I want more of that. So this is liberating. This is a wonderful freedom that we have. And keep it quick, keep it fast. God doesn't want long prayers. He says that through Jesus. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up. Now, you might be looking at me and thinking, well, this is a funny face. You might be doing Alpha at the moment. I know some of you are. You might just be here visiting. And you might think, well, hang on a minute. Isn't the Christian faith all about forgiveness? And now you're telling me I've got to confess on top of Jesus dying for me anyway. And that's a little tussle I've had in writing this speech at this talk rather. But actually... I think that this passage marries them very well indeed because John says, first, God is light, he is holy, he is good, he is everything that is beautiful. And we can have fellowship with that light. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus, because he's died for us. So you and I come from a position this morning, whether we've confessed before breakfast or not, of being forgiven. That to me is truth. However, we still want to look more like that light, don't we? And we know that however forgiven we are, which is a beautiful, incredible thing, we want to reflect it so that the world can see, 
So to get rid of stuff is to confess it, to agree with the light, and to say that actually we want to be a people of the light. Bonhoeffer says, why is it often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother or sister? God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. So Bonhoeffer is kind of upping the ante a bit as well and saying, you know, God is God. He is holy. And so why do we fear telling a brother or sister, and I really identify with this, confessing that when we're okay to have a cheeky prayer and tell God about it, but it's a little bit different to tell our small group about it or our triplets about it. And can I just encourage you to do that? To really do that, I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. Some of you know that when I first became a Christian, uh, I spent quite a long time confessing. Um, I just kept on and on confessing because of condemnation, not because of conviction. So I was on my bunk bed in a a, a shared house, writing out reams of things that I had done wrong. It was quite a catalogue of things because of condemnation. And there is a big difference between what condemns us and what convicts us. Condemnation tells you that you are your shame. Guilt tells you you need to confess your shame. And actually, if we know that we have really messed up as I had, I knew that I'd come into a role that I felt increasingly unworthy of. It wasn't this one, but that's true still. Um, And actually, I thought, I've got to make the grade. I've got to measure up. And actually, somebody, really lovely uh, actress that I worked with then, said to me, Judy, this is not conviction or confession. This is condemnation. You are listening to lies. And can I just say to some of our young people, our brilliant young people that we have here, and we don't praise or thank you enough for all the ways that you bless us, but this is so important for you because shame is a horrible, horrible thing. It corrodes our ability to think that we're ever capable of any change, as Brené Brown says. And don't let it do that for you. You will be sinning in secret, some of you. That's part of of growing older, part of actually exploring life. But confess, because that brings the light into it. It brings the light into the guilt and shame that we have. Brené Brown says, guilt says, I have made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Now, that's extreme. You may or may not agree with that, but I see what she's doing with that. She's saying that actually guilt says, I want to confess, and that's healthy, and that's good as long as we don't carry it. But shame says, I'm wearing this. And as we've had a week where brilliantly the BBC has grabbed mental health in a new way and said, let's talk about this. Let's explore what it is that leads to some of these entrapments of our mind. Lots of people have come forward. Why have they come forward to actually say what lay in secret? I want it to be in the light. Why? So I can help someone else who's in that darkness, that fearful state, that traumatized state that sometimes mental health can bring. And there is a correlation with guilt and shame and mental health. It's not the only one. We know that there are other factors involved, particularly drug use. This has been uh, really brought to the surface again this week. But actually, shame and guilt and despair actually taking people to a place of complete darkness. And yet God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
And he looks on you as you look on him with so much love this morning, just with so much love for you, saying, look what I've made. And actually, he looks at us as righteous because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So here's the double whammy. We've got the love and the, the, the light together. We've got the holiness first, as John says. And then we have this love. And this is a verse about love. Why? Because it says Jesus died for you and me. He gave his son so that we could be free from shame free from guilt, that we can have this brilliant relationship with him and with each other. And it's an ongoing relationship. You and I know from relationships we have, whether we have relationships with a partner, whether it's with our friends, with our family, when we're around people who we think are truly good, and I, I get to do that a lot in my job, we think, I want to look more like that, don't we? It's contagious to actually think, I want to be spurred on, I want to get rid of that so I can actually even reflect more of this light. Um, not long ago, I confessed to my triplet um, that I was struggling with eating too much when I got home from work and drinking wine in the middle of the week. And um, I confess that to you as well. It's not easy to confess, but I do that because I want us to model a church that can do that. So I said to my triplet, I think when I get home, I'm eating stuff from the fridge because I'm stressed or I, I feel the need to do that. And I know that I'm, I'm not healthy because of it. And screw top wine bottles in the fridge are not good on a summer's day either, are they sometimes? But I confessed that so that they could hold me to account. I've uh, been on a little regime as well but actually that is liberating now, that's one example that I'm prepared to share with you there may be others that, that I'm not but do you see if we can't in our small groups in our triplets be that honest who are we and what are we about because sometimes there's nowhere else to go and I would dare to say I'm not married but I would dare to say that sometimes in marriages there are, are secrets that it's too hard to go and you need somewhere else first maybe to take that perhaps before you deal with things together. So this stuff is good for the soul. It's good for us. It's embarrassing. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? Some of you look at me now thinking, oh dear, she's one of our leaders. But that is the case. <laughs> Probably knew it already. Um, but that is the case. And the disciples, what a bunch they were. What a flawed, messing up bunch they were. But look what they did. We're here because of them. We're here because they held on. I was um, at a little breakfast yesterday morning and uh, a lady came up to me and she said, I want to tell you a story. And she said, when um, I first became a Christian, I was obsessed with having an experience of God because <laughs> she said everyone else seemed to have one. I didn't really have one. I just said, right, I'm going to follow you. And so she was in her room at home going, just give me something, you know, touch my hand and all those things that perhaps weirdly we do to just say, come on, God, show you're real. And he did absolutely nothing that she could testify to and that's hard isn't it you know when we've we've waited for that but actually God warns that he won't be he won't be tamed in that way he's too holy he's too out there for us to say this is what you need to do for me but he does something extraordinarily better so two weeks later that woman who'd said oh you didn't do that little finger touch thing that I asked you to do weirdly in my room 
She's with her husband when he's diagnosed with a cancer in his bladder. And she goes into this room to get herself together because she doesn't want to cry in front of her husband and because she's traumatized. And someone comes into the room and she looks at their face and it's full of light. Full of light. She said it was like that ready breath glow that you used to see on television, those of you who are old enough to remember that. And this person sat with her and just said, he's going to be all right, you know, and so are you. You're going to be all right. What he has is treatable. And she said, what was incredible is they sounded so normal. <laughs> you know, they perhaps didn't use medical language so much, but she knew that she was reassured. And when she wanted to thank this wonderful person when she'd gathered herself and spoke to the staff on the, uh, on the reception desk, there was no one working there that fitted that description at all. In fact, they were the wrong race for the rest of the people working there. In other words, God did immeasurably more. I mean, he could have given her a little touchy-feely moment in the room, but he didn't. He sent an angel or a messenger of light, whether you believe in angels or not, let's just agree on that, shall we? Whether it was a real person or not, sent a messenger of light because he is light. In your darkness, he is the light. And what a beautiful story. I mean, it just blew, blew me away. And she's become a youth worker now for a church that I used to go to uh, back in the day. Uh, this is Rembrandt, a little bit of culture for us this morning. And uh, he has done this beautiful painting. He was obsessed with light and dark, as some of you artists will know. And he painted this to show the light that is on who? If you know the story at all, this is the woman caught in adultery where everyone around her was shaming her, a bit like Jeremy Kyle, and saying, let's shame this woman because she has committed adultery, the uber sin. You know, this is the one that we can all say, okay, it looks like shame. But actually, he's not painted it like shame, has he? He's painted it with a woman, contrite, lit up, and Jesus, incredibly tall. I don't know if you picture him that tall, <laughs> but Rembrandt did. <laughs> he is very tall. And um, that is Jesus. And so the light is spilling, if you like, on her first, but Jesus is also lit up. Her accusers, that motley bunch, are shadowy and shady, but the light is on the confessor and the one that is being confessed to, which is Jesus. And if you don't know the story, spoiler, Jesus says, okay, all of you lot, who's, who's going to cast the first stone? Who, who's not got any sin in their lives? What a brilliant story. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament because I come back to it and think, yeah, that's right. If you want to judge people, go ahead. But Jesus has said, look, look at your own life before you start doing that. Confess to your own sins before you start telling other people what theirs are. And so a beautiful painting that actually depicts you and I, if we put ourselves in the middle, we are bathed in that light today. Why? Because of this holiness and because of his love. A man who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. 
So as we close, a great encouragement. Again, it's in the booklet from Bonhoeffer, and it talks about the fact that actually we are more free even still when we tell someone else. We're not alone in our shame and sin. What a different world I believe we would have. What a different nation we would have if we were quicker to do this. That rather than burying our sin and our shame, that we were free. Uh, Not over the top telling people on trains who don't want to know, but you know what I'm saying, to trusted people brothers and sisters together